The name of my sermon today is Habits for Harvest. Habits for Harvest. Uh, I've been around, like I said, 30 years, and um, you know, I've been honored and privileged to be in a lot of different churches across the nation. And um, you know, the more time you spend in amazing places and amazing churches, you'll start to pick up some common things that they all have. Um, you know, and it, it gives you insight as to you know what the DNA of a healthy church. Um, and if we are going to have the harvest that I believe that is called and required for this day and for this hour, we are going to have to make sure that we have certain disciplines in our life that will help God trust us with the harvest. Number one, we have to have a culture of prayer. I know that we say it all the time. Pastor Draylon said, it, you know what? Prayer is our anchor. It's, it's one of our core values. It's something that we can never afford and will never remove. It will always be a priority here at this church to be a church that prays. Because this has to be a house of prayer. But it has to have a house of prayer in your house. If this is the only praying that we do, we're in real trouble. If the only prayers offered up unto the Lord happen around this altar, we're in real trouble. Because prayer is not something that you do. Prayer is something that you exist as. You have to have a lifestyle and a culture of prayer. I remember a few years ago, Pastor was preaching about the importance of having a time and a place of prayer. A consistent time and consistent place of prayer. Now, some of us left less um, gifted at administration and planning. You know, we don't normally like to have a lot of things planned out and consistent. But listen, there's value in a consistent time and a consistent place in prayer. You develop that in your life, whatever that works for you. I know the Bible says Jesus rose early in the morning to pray, but it also talks about him praying through the night. So, whatever fits your life and your lifestyle, then just be consistent with that time and that place. The Bible talks about very specifically about having a, a prayer closet. It identifies a place that you can go to, a familiar place for you and God to meet. And when you develop a, a culture of prayer, what happens is, is you look forward to that time. You look forward to going into that place. And, and when everything is good, you just want to go in there and have a great time in the presence of God. And give it time. There will be something in your life that will happen where, you know what, I've got to go to war in prayer. And you will draw strength from the place that you have consistently visited God and had amazing encounters in the presence of God. And that'll, you'll draw strength from that. So I encourage you, listen, if you don't have a time and a place of prayer, get one. There's never been a better time than right now to develop a culture of prayer in your life. Get a time, get a place, it will change your life. Because what happens is when you develop a culture of prayer, guess what? Now you are getting into the presence of God on a regular basis. It's in the presence of God that God can start to transform you. He can start to make you like him. In fact, we, we talk a lot about it with, um, you know, young people and peer pressure and, uh, you know, youth age. And, and Solomon taught, you know what, if you hang out with wise people, then you're going to be wise. But a companion of fools is a fool. It's teaching us something, that you become who you hang out with. 
And the more time we spend in prayer in the presence of God, the more we become like who we're hanging out with and we become like God himself. And it's in those moments and it's in those times where God can speak to you and he can lead you and he can challenge you and and correct you and inspire you. And the more time you spend in the presence of God, now you are taking on the attributes of God. See, we're, we're real focused in Pentecost about, about operating in the supernatural, and I'm all for that. Operating in the gifts of the Spirit, but not at the cost of the fruit of the Spirit. You'll never get to the gifts of the Spirit unless you have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit happens in the presence of God. You'll start to become like Him. Why are the fruits of the Spirit love, joy, peace? Why are they that? It's because that's where he is. And the more time we spend in the presence of God, the more we become like God himself. And you'll want to please him. You'll spend time in the presence of God and you'll want to please him. And that will drive you to the word of God. Because it was David who said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want to please you and I don't want to displease you. How do I find out what that that looks like? Prayer and the word. Notice I said prayer and the word. Don't just open up the word without praying before you read it. There's a lot of scholars that, that know more Bible than I ever will that don't pray over it and they're deceived. Reading out of the same book. Can't grasp what it is. There's no revelation. Prayer produces revelation of the word that you're reading, which will drive you into fasting. Prayer, the word, and fasting is powerful, powerful things. And a healthy church has a culture of prayer. A healthy Christian has a culture of prayer. That will bring us to number two. The healthiest churches that I have ever seen or been a part of have unity and peace in the church. Unity and peace. In fact, in the uh, book of Genesis, they were talking about the Tower of Babel. Most of us are familiar with. They wanted to build a tower to where they could reach up unto the heavens. And this is God's response to the work that they were doing in Genesis 11, verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one. And they have one language. Notice the unity. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them. These are not even the people of God. But they're unified. And they're speaking the same language. It matters what you say. And when you're unified and you have the same language, guess what? God himself says, nothing's going to be restrained from you. Because you're so unified, you can accomplish what you set out to do. Unity is powerful. And we cannot afford in this season that we are in, this fragile season that we are in, to allow anything divisive, to allow any ounce of discord, to allow anything to come out of our worth, word or out of our mouth that is not edification to the body. We know the verse, let no pro- uh, profane thing proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edification of the body. We have to guard our words, especially in this season. Because if we lose unity, we lose the church. If we lose unity, it falls apart. Because the word itself says, a house divided against itself 
cannot stand. And here's the crazy thing. God loves the lost people of this city enough to remove the ununified people out of it so that the remainder of people that would be here are unified enough to have the harvest. And if you don't think that's true, you don't know your Bible. God promised that they would get into a land of Canaan. And he sent out spies and 11 out of, or 10 out of the 12 came back with an evil report. And whoever didn't have the faith and was complaining about it, God let them wander around for 40 years until they all died. Once the complainers died, God says, now I have a unified group. I can get them into the land of promise. It matters what you say. Your attitude matters, especially now. It was David who wanted to build the house of God. That's what we're trying to do, build the house of God, a new temple, right? It was David who had the greatest ambition that he's ever had for God in his entire life was to build a new temple for God. And God tells him, no. Credit to David. Still had a good attitude. I'd have probably been a little bit out of shape. Say, God, this is the greatest thing I've ever wanted to do for you. And I get a no, you can't do it. But the reason why David couldn't build something for God is because his hands were bloody. He was a man of war. And it wasn't until his son Solomon came on the throne, whose name means peace, he was allowed to build the house for God. And if we're not careful, Satan will try his very best to start wars between you and I. And if there's war in this church, we're not building anything. God cannot use a people who are not unified and have war amongst them. So I'm challenging you right now. Guard your words, guard your heart. And if there's something that you need to apologize and make right, make it right. Because we cannot afford to lose our unity. We cannot afford to get divisive now or have war between brothers and sisters. We can be our own worst enemy. We like to blame Satan, but you know what? It's me. I'm the one I got to fight the most. So guard yourself. Guard yourself. In fact, in Jude chapter 1, verse 9, you have Michael wrestling with Satan himself, Lucifer, and he's wrestling for the, the body of Moses. This is what it says. They're disputing about the body of Moses. It says he did not bring a, a, a railing accusation against him. We're talking about Satan, the accuser of the brethren, that old serpent, right? The, the one who seeks to kill and destroy, steal, that guy. Michael says, you know what? I'm not even going to say anything against you. He says, the Lord rebuke you. Because at one time in Lucifer's life, he was anointed. He reflected the glory of God. Even though he's the devil now, Michael says, because of what you were at one time, I'm not even going to say anything against you. It's the same thing that happened with David and Saul. Remember King David's anointed to be king over Israel? Saul's the current king. Samuel ripped it from him. There's no anointing left. Saul gets jealous. He throws javelin at David twice, tries to kill him, uses the kingdom's army to try to find David and to kill him. David had Saul's life in his hands more than once, would not touch the Lord's anointed. Saul ends up dying in a battlefield, and somebody thought it was a great opportunity for a promotion. 
They said, you know what? I'm going to take Saul's stuff and I'm going to present it to David. I'm going to say that I killed him for you. And so here you have this man saying he killed David's enemy and, and David's response is amazing to me. The man who was trying to kill him with the kingdom's army, David says, how were you not afraid to lift up your hand against the Lord's anointed? We need a godly fear in this church. We cannot afford to lift up our hands, our thoughts, or our words against the Lord's anointed. We have to remain unified. If we are not unified, it falls apart. If we're not unified, there's nothing left. We'll, we'll be divided and it will fall apart. We have to remain unified. Culture of prayer, unity and peace. Takes us to number three. After we have developed a healthy church culture of prayer, healthy prayer in our own personal disciplines, when there's unity and peace, and I feel that in this room, I felt it Wednesday night, you know, there was, there was no, there was no uh, animosity, there was no resistance, it was, it was harmonious Wednesday night, and I, I celebrate, and I give you credit for that, and I thank God for it, that there was unity and peace in the room, but after unity and peace, we have to make sure that we properly identify where the labor field is and who are the laborers. Because in John chapter 4, verse 35, this is what it says. It says, the fields are white unto harvest. The fields are white unto harvest. It's my belief that there is going to be a great end time harvest. That many people are going to be hired in in the last hour. They'll receive the same reward that you and I are going to get. And I'm grateful for that. But we have to properly identify where the labor field is. Because that's where the harvest is at. And can I tell you, First Church, that this is not the labor field. This is not where the harvest is at. Now, I'm all for people getting baptized here. I'm all for people getting the Holy Ghost. I'm all for signs, wonders, miracles happening in the body of Christ, in the house of God. I'm all for that. But we cannot limit it to this building. In fact, that's the litmus test of a church, right? We like to know, say, oh, how was church? Great. Well, two people got the Holy Ghost and, uh, you know, one person got baptized. It's like I go preach out, out and, then, and it's like that's what people want to know. Well, how many people got the Holy Ghost? I'm like... How many people repented? How many people developed, took a step towards God that they never took before? How many people, right, turned to God as their Savior that never happened before? But I believe the true litmus test of a real first church, Book of Acts church, ought to be how many people got the Holy Ghost in life group? How many people got baptized in your work, in your home, right? Because... The signs, wonders, miracles that we read about did not happen in the church body. I believe three of them did. The overwhelming majority happened outside of the church building because that's where the harvest is at. We have to also identify. It says in, in John chapter 4, it says the fields are white unto harvest. That means it's already ready. You don't have to worry about finding somebody who's hungry for God. They're already there. They're living in chaos. They're living in confusion. And they'll see the way that you live, and there will be an internal desire for God 
because of how you live. What we have to identify, I said, the fields are white under harvest. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is not in the field. God said the problem is the laborers. Look at your neighbor and say, that's me. I'm the problem. I am the problem. How many times have God prompted me at work? How many times have God spoken to me at a store? And I say, oh, God, that's not you. I just keep moving. Oh, no, that, I, I can't do that here. You and I are the laborers. And God is trusting you and I to go out into the field where the harvest is at. There needs to be a revelation that is taking place right now. Because so many times what I see in churches is that it is not my job to be a laborer. It's Pastor Mike's job to be a laborer. And if I could just get my family member, or if I could just get my coworker, my job is to get them to church. And it's their job to preach the gospel to them. It's their job to pray over them. It's their job to take the Bible study and teach it to them. It's their job. All I have to do, I'm the chauffeur. That is not a laborer. Labor is hard work. We want the easy work of getting them here. And the labor is on the ministry team. The labor is upon Pastor Hoffman. Not the way God designed this to be. In fact, we talk about the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, like that is all, listen, it says it's for the perfecting of who? It's for the perfecting of the saints and the work of their ministry. You have a ministry. Your ministry is to go and make disciples. Nobody gets a pass on that. Nobody gets to say, that's not for me. I'm just going to come and enjoy church. And, and I know Pastor Draylon's going to have an amazing you know, service for me. And I'm going to be able to enjoy the presence of God. And I'm going I'm to enjoy the word of God, have a great time around the altar. Then I'm going to go out to eat and start my week. And isn't God great? And I'll see you again on, on Sunday. That is not what church is for. This is to strengthen you. This is to get you encouraged. This is to get you instructed. Why? For your ministry that is in the field. It's your ministry. So I challenge you. Can you point to somebody? Over the course of your life, is there anybody that you can say, you know what? God used me to make sure that they're here. God used me to pour into them. God used me in a great way. And you know what? If I, if I wouldn't have been open, if I wouldn't have taught the Bible study, if I wouldn't have had that time of prayer, if I wouldn't have had that counsel with somebody, they would not be saved today. Is there anyone you can point to in your life where you can see your fingerprints are on their soul? Anybody. There better be somebody. Because I'll remind you of the parable of the talents. The king invests the valuables of his kingdom, the wealth. Now, we serve the king of kings. He's, he doesn't value earthly riches. This is a parable. He values souls. That's riches. He has his blood that redeems you and I. He has his spirit that empowers you and I. 
And that God invested those resources into your life. If you've been baptized in Jesus Christ, you've received the riches of heaven. If you've been filled with the infilling of the Holy Ghost, you've received the riches of heaven. If you've been forgiven of your sins, you've received the riches of heaven. And God himself is coming back one day. And he's going to evaluate each and every one of our lives. And he's going to say, you know what? What did you do with the riches that I gave you? You see, talents aren't what we think it is in the Bible. Talents is money in the Bible. So it's the riches. And God says, you know what? I have spared you. I have redeemed you. I have washed you. I have empowered you. I have called you by my name. What have you done with it? And there's one servant out of the three that didn't do anything with the riches of the kingdom. He buried it. And God, the king, comes back and he says, Thou fool, unprofitable servant, is what he calls him. You're going to be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I know this is heavy, but hear me. You have to find somebody to pour into you can't just come to church and feel good and know that you're saved and know that you can check the box and everything's great in my life when your family is lost. When your neighbor is lost, you have to find somebody to pour into for the kingdom's sake. Otherwise, you're unprofitable. God's investment in you has yielded no return. And according, if I understand that parable right, there's going to be Holy Ghost filled, baptized in Jesus' name people that have been unprofitable to the king. And they're going to be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. God, help us if we don't have the burden on our lives for souls. It's the whole point of this. It's the whole existence of why God spared you. Because he loves you and because he wants to use you. That's why he did it. So find somebody. Find somebody to invest in. I remember when I was so convicted about it. It was, I don't know, 15 years ago now. I always had my, my Uncle Bob for as long as I can remember. My Uncle Bob Lichtel um, has always taught Bible studies. Consistently. All the time. And I'm all for everything that we can try to do. To, to reach people and, and to, to get them into the, into the body of Christ. But I personally have found nothing more effective than one-on-one -on -one Bible studies where you can sit in somebody's home week after week after week and go through the Word of God and have conversations and have prayers and, and intimate times of, of, you know, what are you struggling with? What can we, you know, you're in the, you're in the trenches with somebody. And I found nothing more effective than that. And in a church like this size, I think we ought to have a bunch of Bible study teachers. I, I honestly, if, you're, if I'm being 100% transparent, I think every person in this room ought to be able to teach a Bible study. Every single person. If you can't explain the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to sit down with your Bible. You need to go through some old sermons where pastor very clearly lays it out. You need to memorize it, put it in your spirit, and be ready to recall it at a moment's notice. Because I promise you one thing. When you put that inside of you, when you start preparing, God will send you somebody hungry. Because he can trust you. He can trust you with it.
He's not going to send somebody and trust them into your hands if you don't know how to care for them. He loves them enough to say, wait a minute, they're not ready yet. I've got to prepare them before I send you to them. So get prepared now. That's the season we're in. We're in a season of challenge. We're in a season of, of preparation. We can't wait till the new building's built to try to fill the new building. How about we fill the new building before a shovel goes in the ground? How about we get so full on Sundays that we've got to add another service on a Saturday or a third service on a Sunday? How about prayer catches on in such a powerful way? that we've got to add another hour of prayer because we can't fit enough people on a Monday night at seven o'clock. We've got to have a six to seven prayer and a seven to eight prayer. How about we stretch? When we identify who the laborers are and where the field is at, harvest is easy because now God is with us and for us and working through us. But the last point that I'll make, we have to develop an ear to hear. We have to know the voice of God. We have to know the voice of God. In John chapter 10, it it says that my sheep know my voice. If you don't know the voice of God, can you call yourself a sheep? In fact, in Romans, Paul taught Romans 8. He says, as many as are led by the Spirit. They shall be called the sons of God. Examine your heart. Examine yourself. Can you say that you have been led of God? Can you say that that you know the voice of God? I'll confess to you, I need to get better. I need to develop more of an ear to hear. Because it's in the voice of God that we get the instruction in the moment the greatest harvest that this world has ever known ever known have been associated with signs wonders and miracles that's what we read about Matthew Mark Luke John the book of acts how did the shadow of of Simon Peter heal somebody Can you imagine that walking down the aisle at Meyer And somebody in a wheelchair jumps out of the wheelchair because your shadow passed over them. I've been so hungry for that. I want that so badly for this church, and it is coming. We are getting there. But this is a process. But the greatest harvest the world has ever known has had signs, wonders, and miracles. And that only happens when you hear the voice of God. Because I've, been, I've gotten this wrong so many times, thinking that if I say the name of Jesus to a situation, what I think needs to happen ought to happen. The name of Jesus is not a magic trick. It doesn't work for me. I work for him. In fact, I remember, I remember uh, I don't know, seven years ago, eight years ago now, I was over here in prayer and... Um, there was a man that was, that was here in the church and he had been paralyzed from the waist down. And I felt that prompting of the Holy Ghost. Has anybody ever felt that? The prompting of the Holy Ghost? What I've learned with that is trust the first thing. Don't wait and try to think about it. 
feel it and react because that's, that's God. When we put, start putting our own understanding and our own thoughts behind it, now you can have, have confusion and doubt enter in. Trust the first prompting. So that's what I did. I was so excited. I said, oh, Jesus, this guy's going to jump out of a wheelchair. And I, I was full of faith. I'm telling you, I was full of faith. And I came over. I put my hands on this guy's leg. I was interceding. I was, I was declaring the miraculous and, and uh, thinking about where we would put the wheelchair. You know, where can, we, where can we put it to where, you know what, it's going to be a memorial, what God did right now. And can I be honest with you, church? Nothing happened. <laughs> I was full of faith. I pleaded the blood of Jesus, spoke his name. Nothing happened. And I remember the rebuke of the Lord. And I'm so thankful that God loves me enough to correct me. He said, whoever told you that I wanted to heal him? You see, David talks about in the Psalms, he talks about something known as presumptuous sin, Psalm 19. He said, keep me from presumptuous sin. What that means, it's an arrogant sin. It's a sin that's, that, that's full of pride. And when I began to study that out, I believe it's what happened with this man in the wheelchair. I felt the prompting of the Holy Ghost. And I presumed that I knew what God wanted to do. Because what I think God should do, He should do. That puts me in the place where He's supposed to be seated. He decides what happens, not me. In fact, there's stories in the Bible where Jesus walked in full of people. He heals one person. One. He left, I don't even know how many, stranded, still in need of a miracle. But he, Jesus also said, I only do the will of my Father. And that sometimes, you know what, you don't have because you're asking amiss. We can't afford to ask God for things that are not in his will. We have to be intentional about making sure we're asking God, God, I feel the prompting of the Holy Ghost. What do you want to do? Because the prompting of the Holy Ghost generates faith. It ought to in you. God wants to do something. But don't presume you know what, what is best for God to do. Ask God, God, okay, what do you want to do? I'm your servant. Lead me. Guide me in my prayer. Guide me in the conversation. What do they need from you in this moment? Because when you develop an ear to hear and the voice of God is, is clear to you, guess what? Now he can send you. Now he can say, okay, take a step. And then go to the left. And go to the, that's what serving God is all about. He will never show you the path. He'll show you a step and require that step of faith. And that's what happens when we develop an ear to hear. There are, there are windows of opportunities that God will open up into the supernatural. And I know this is like, this, this can be the, the uh, spooky stuff, and this can be the stuff that, that there is a fine line between goofy and glory. But when you're consecrated and you have those fruits of the Spirit and a culture of prayer in your life, and you're submitted to leadership, and you have peace and harmony in the church, and you're actively seeking the labor field, and you care about what God cares about, which is people, and it's always going to be people, now guess what? Now you're ready to step into a realm of the supernatural because God can trust you with it. 
Everything else leading up to that point has been checked off, and now God can use you in it. I remember in a prayer, it was a prayer session a few years ago, God challenged me. He says, you have, you have walked in the Spirit for years. Now I will teach you how to operate in the Spirit. That's two different things. I didn't understand it at the time. I was very confused. But walking in the Spirit is somebody who's Spirit-filled and consecrated and ready for God to use. I'm ready for you to use. And that's your everyday life. You go about your everyday life, and you're prepared and ready, and you're living that lifestyle, and you're somebody that God can use when He chooses to. And when He chooses to, there will be a moment of opportunity that will open. That's when you have to step into the operation of the supernatural. If you've never been used in the realm of the supernatural, strive for that. In fact, Paul taught in Corinthians, he says, you know what, strive for the best gifts. You know, it's not, it's not wrong for you to want to be used in the realm of the supernatural. In fact, it's essential to the harvest that is coming. Because in the Bible, that signs, wonders, and miracles, they were used to set the stage for the gospel. The gospel didn't come till Acts chapter 2. Jesus taught... Nicodemus in John 3, what did he say? What did Nicodemus say when he came to Jesus? He says, we know that you're, God's with you because of all the things that you're doing, all the miracles, right? And what's God's response? Must be born of water and spirit. It was what Nicodemus saw in the natural that brought him to the teaching of the spiritual. When Jesus sent the disciples out two by twos, Heal the sick, cast out demons. Guess what that was for? It was for the preparation of the gospel that was coming. And that's what Jesus said. He says, you know, that he, he um, stretched forth your hand, that you know that the Son of Man would have the power on earth to forgive sins. I, I, stretch out your hand and be healed. He did the miracle so that they would know he can heal their spirit. And there is a harvest that is upon us, and the, and the music team can come. There is a harvest that is upon us. I believe very strongly that we are witnessing the beginning of the foundation for the end of the world. That we're seeing it play out in real time. And if I'm wrong, God forgive me. It just means we got more time to reach more people. Thank God. But if I'm right, we can't afford to get sloppy. We have to get focused and we have to be very com become very comfortable with the operation of the power of the Spirit of God. Because what a tragedy it would be to be Spirit-filled people and not know how to operate in that Spirit. There is a realm of the supernatural that is open to you and I. It's because of the years of prayer. It's the years of sacrifice. It's the labor that have gone on. It's the heartbeat of our pastor. And that's why we have a very unique opportunity in front of us. We have to develop an ear to hear what God is saying and recognize those, those moments of supernatural opportunity and be willing to take a step of faith in those opportunities. Because it was Paul who taught in the Corinthian church. He wrote letters back to the Corinthian church and it was 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says, And brethren, when I came to you, it was not with excellency of speech or with wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. 
He said, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Listen to this. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You want to know how you reach a city? You have demonstration of the spirit and of power. You want to know how you have a harvest? You operate in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. And this is how Paul established his churches that he, he carved out. Because when you can pray for somebody and operate in that realm of the supernatural and somebody's legs receive strength, somebody's eyes receive sight, they won't care about what your doctrine is. All I know is I was blind and now I see. All I know is I was bound and now I'm free. They'll be open to the gospel. They'll be open. Oh, I need baptized? Okay, let's go. And I think that that is where we're at as a church. Some of these things we have, we have grasped very strongly, that we're very familiar with this. Some of these things God is stretching us into. We're not there yet, but he's helping us to get there. If we could all stand. I thank God for the stretch. It's painful. It's painful. Come to the front. I don't know if anybody goes to the gym. Looking at me, of course, you can tell I don't. But how you want to develop more muscle, you have to actually tear it. You tear it and then your body fills in the tears and that's how you grow muscle. If you want to build cardiovascular strength, you have to push your lung capacity to its limits and your heart has to try to keep up with the oxygen supply that's needed for the body to sustain the workload. None of it's fun. This, of course, I'm talking in spiritual things. God is stretching us. Some of it's painful. Some of it hurts. But I promise you on the other side of this, our blind eyes open. Deaf ears unlocked. Lame leaping. And even the dead being raised to life. And the greatest of all souls added to the kingdom. They're going to lead us in a song. Much like the 915, I don't truly know how to end this. I think there's a lot of people who are at different points in their spiritual journey, and that's fine. Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to develop a culture of prayer in your life, and God's speaking to you at that point. Let God minister you in that in that that point perhaps you've been somebody who who hasn't guarded your words the last few weeks perhaps you've been somebody who has been complaining or who has been questioning things and thus questioning God himself maybe you need a time of repentance if you've been somebody who has come to this church for years and enjoyed all the benefits of being a part of the body of Christ but hasn't been used to find and reach somebody else. 
Maybe you're being inspired right now to actually order that Bible study, to put those disciplines in your life to where you can take it out for a test drive and see if God doesn't really want to use you to reach and impact somebody's soul. Maybe you're somebody who's at step four and you've taught the Bible studies and you're unified and you're behind the leadership. You've got a culture of prayer and study in your life. just never been used in the realm of the supernatural you never you've never taken that step of faith when that opportunity presents itself maybe the voice of God is a little muddy right now in your life and challenge you fall into the Lord he'll he'll carry you and he'll teach you but it requires faith in the moment. God will bring you to the moment, but you still got to take that step. And so wherever you're at right now, whatever it is that you've been um, feeling like as I've been teaching and preaching to you, I pray that you would just respond how you feel comfortable and respond with what God has stirred inside of your hearts. And they're, they're going to sing behind me. We're going to have a time of prayer. And we'll see if God doesn't want to take us to any, a certain point tonight. Jesus name thank you so much I surrender all.